Welcome to This Week in Liberpods, your libertarian, voluntarist, anarchist, and agorist podcast test drive show. I'm your host, Nikki P. Let's check out five new podcasts. All right, folks, digging right in. Our first clip today comes from the Flyover Libertarian podcast, hosted by Iowa ANCAP and Rural Rothbard. This show is super new on my radar, so I don't even know how to tell you what style it is. Well, let's dig in and see what they've got. Bitcoin as a store of value versus Bitcoin as a um, form of payment. It sounds like you're in the Bitcoin as a store of long-term value um, camp. I am not not really. Um, Bitcoin as a store of value is the easiest to understand. I am in what is going to sound like a cop-out. I am is in the Bitcoin is a protocol camp. At its very core, Bitcoin is text. It's digital, but it is text. It's actually protected by the First Amendment. Um, if I wanted to, I could print, I could create a Bitcoin transaction, print out the hash of it, print it onto a shirt, and then wear it in public. I'm allowed to do that. Um, and I can then take that shirt and mail it to the person who wants to receive my Bitcoins. They can copy the, the numbers from my shirt onto the internet, and then they will get their Bitcoin. Um, and that is why um, I am the most interested in Bitcoin, is actually not which form of money it best is. Um, what is it? A method of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. I'm not really interested which one it's best at. I'm interested in the fact that it is it's unstoppable and nobody can shut it down. That being said, um, it is easiest to understand Bitcoin as a store of value, which is to say it's ridiculously easy to protect Bitcoins compared to protecting gold or protecting even physical cash. Um, if you store your money in a bank, well, the bank can steal it or the Fed will inflate it away. If you store it in cash, well, somebody else can steal it or the Fed will inflate it away. If you store your money in gold, well, it's really hard to store gold. You got to have some big guns or people are going to steal it. And It's really heavy. And it's really heavy. And you don't even know if it's real. Like fake gold has been found in like bank vaults. So, so like the, the counterfeiters are out there. With Bitcoin, you can mathematically verify this is um, unique and, and valuable. Absolutely. Yep. So I run a node. I run a node here at my house. Um, I, on my node, I have a history of every single Bitcoin transaction that ever occurred. I can trace the Bitcoins, uh, the small pieces of Bitcoins that I own, um, back to when they were initially mined. I can follow the transaction back to their genesis, if you will. Um, and I can verify that nobody has copy and pasted this Bitcoin, that the, the person who sent it to me um, has the authority to send it, that they didn't steal it from anybody. Um, and then I can verify within mere seconds. All right, that was the Flyover Libertarian podcast. Once again, those guys are new. That's only episode number five. So go check them out. Give them a good start. Our second clip today is from Cam Harless over at the Make Liberty Great Again podcast of the Make Liberty Great Again Network. The show style is two-man discussion and is one of my favorites. I rarely miss an episode. So let's see what they got this week. 
if anyone wants to watch that, I'll have a link to it in the show notes for them to find. But yeah, you you know who I think was probably mishandled as a kid, as a child actor, who would uh, who I really I I really wish he would say something. Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin. Culkin. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I think Macaulay every- Culkin. Look at that guy. I know. I think everybody feels that way about him, man. Like it's he got so weird for so long and remember the thing in the 90s where he like emancipated himself from his family from his parents i didn't remember that but it would make sense yeah i swear that there was a thing where he like it was it was a big thing like uh macaulay calkin divorces his parents but yeah he's definitely been through some stuff and like so many child he was really close with michael jackson oh yeah oh that that documentary. I couldn't even get through it. I had to turn it off after a I, while. I didn't finish it. Yeah. It's uh that's a But tough no, you one. you know that guy has some stories to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, f- for years he looked like he was on meth mm-hmm. and he looked I mean, he looked like a homeless person and now he's kind of turning his life around it seems and I forget what it was. He was in some show not that long ago and um I was like, "Wow, he actually is looking like a human being again." Yeah, for a while he did not. <laughs> yeah, he also decided, uh, I thought it was funny, uh, like last year he decided to have a poll of, because he was going to change his middle name because he didn't like what it was. I forget what his middle name was, but he was going to change his middle name. And so he had people vote on what his new middle name should be. And the people landed on his new middle name being Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> so he has he has said that he is going to legally change his name to Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin. That's awesome. And I, th- I think that's great. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> if if you're looking, you know, this is all pretty depressing stuff that we're talking about. But on the brighter side of Macaulay Culkin history, there's a, a show on Netflix. I think it's called The Movies That Made Us. And there's an episode yeah. about Home Alone and the production and all the kind of the nonsense that they had to go through to make that movie. And it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, they had to jump through some hoops to, to even get it made. And nobody thought it was going to be successful. And then in the end, it turns into one of the biggest Christmas movies of all time. Not to mention that in the second movie, the president is in it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and people when right after Trump was elected and it hit Christmas season. So right, right after November of 2016, people popped in Home Alone 2 and they go, shit yeah <laughs> they were they were petitioning some of the stations to edit him out edit him out of the movie ridiculous that's like that's trump derangement syndrome at its finest like we can't even oh. you have to edit him out of our movies we can't even look at him anymore <laughs> pathetic but speaking of trump derangement syndrome i do think we should just do a real quick update on the democratic field yep and what's going on there um, did you like that segue? Yeah, I mean, it didn't make any sense because you said, speaking of Trump derangement syndrome, let's talk about the primaries. All right. Once again, that was Cam Harless and Chuck over at the Make Liberty Great Again podcast. Third on the docket today is the recent interview hosted by everyone's favorite leather clad boomer. Nick Gillespie. As the name would suggest, it is a one-on-one interview-style podcast. And while I may often disagree with Nick's positions, he is one hell of an interviewer. So let's see who he's got this week. 
stuff that we need. You know, one thing that economists try to do is uh, look at the costs and benefits of, you know, particular policies and the way they play out. It seems to me that in the current discussion about the coronavirus, and this may make sense at this stage, but virtually the only thing we're talking about is the uh, potential cost in terms of human life uh, and the benefits of saving as many people as possible or flattening the curve, whatever phrase you want to use. When is it proper to start factoring other economic issues um, in, such as, you know, we're looking at something, I was reading headlines that over 6 million people have applied for unemployment benefits, you know, which is almost double what the initial estimate was going to be. And, uh, you know, we're looking at, we might be looking at 25% or 30% unemployment. This is depths of the Great Depression level. How do you, from a kind of public policy perspective, factor in you know, economics, the, the larger economy versus the immediate public health claims on attention, things like that. It's one of the most difficult problems. And when I talk to students about this, I, it, it's shocking to them, but I tell them that a public policy analyst, particularly one who teaches from the PPE perspective, I'm the director of philosophy, politics, and economics, from that perspective, you have to realize that you are not in favor of zero deaths. And, and then it gets real quiet. Right. I'm yeah. in favor of a number of deaths that exceed zero. If you add up the total of the deaths from COVID and the deaths from starvation or not having access to economic resources or just the stress of not knowing where you're going to work, those are always going to be a lot more than zero. I don't know where the minimum is, but it does seem like we have been biased in favor at first, we were biased in favor of the economy. A lot of things did right. not shut down. We didn't get any kind of distancing. If you look at the curves about rate of growth, we blew right through China and we're about to catch Italy. So the, the rate of increase of deaths in the United States, it's going really badly. And it seems that now we're likely to react in the other direction of overemphasizing social distancing in a way that really wrecks the economy that may leave a legacy of a, a years. So the consequence of that is that we, we have mismanaged this. I think it's not like I expected anything like this to happen. The effects on the economy are going to be very hard to gauge. And I do worry that there's going to be a centralization of economic power and planning. And the idea of transfer and bailing out based on political power. Some industries are going to get very substantial bailouts. Some industries may get almost nothing. Having that kind of discretion in the hands of government means that not only are we not going to take care of the economy as much as we might have, but there's going to be disparate treatment within different industries. And that's just a giant rent-seeking contest. So the, it really is about as bad as you can imagine. What, uh, you know, a week ago, uh, basically, uh, Congress passed and the president signed what is generally considered or acknowledged to be the single biggest spending bill in American history, probably in human history, you know, $2 trillion plus in, in direct money being shoveled at various things. What is your sense of that? And what is the role? And this is a separate thing. You know, what is it? What from a libertarian perspective, from an explicitly libertarian perspective, what is the role of the federal government in a situation like this? We're going to be able to talk about this now for the rest of my life in class because this is the best example I've ever seen. I don't yeah. know the answer to your question. Okay. What's interesting is that I think that bill is way. Wait, which, which, uh, what is the libertarian response? Or from a libertarian perspective, what would you be comfortable with? So, once again, that was the 
Reason interview with Nick Gillespie. Our fourth clip this week is Decarceration Nation, hosted by Joshua Ho. The show is a one-on-one interview show specifically about the happenings in the criminal justice system. Let's dig in and see what they've got to say. Uh, to take it even more uh, in a more specific direction, um, Dr. Ross McDonald said this on Twitter about COVID-19 recently in regards to Rikers. We cannot change the fundamental nature of jail. We cannot socially distance dozens of elderly men living in a dorm, sharing a bathroom. Think of a cruise ship recklessly boarding, recklessly boarding more passengers every day. A storm is coming, and I know that I'll be do, uh, what I'll be doing when it claims my first patient. What will you be doing? What will you have done? We have told you who is at risk. Please let as many out as you possibly can. We already know Rikers was in many ways a public health and human rights disaster before COVID-19. So will you share where where you think we're at now? Yeah, well, that's very eloquent from Ross. And I have to say all of the the medical staff uh, who work at Rikers um, historically have been really fierce advocates for for the people that they serve there. And, um, you know, some of the people who used to work in corrections, uh, such as John Giftos, who a lot of people follow, on Twitter, um, you know, have, have always spoken up about the egregious conditions that they have to work under and how unjust and inhumane jail and prison is. I mean, I think, frankly, uh, this has been an eye-opening process for some people who don't, like us, work in criminal justice reform just to show uh, how awful the jail and prison system is. You know, we actually, during the Close Rikers campaign, um, obviously, you know, when we, we were starting the Close Rikers campaign, part of the purpose of that effort was to uh, reshape New Yorkers' understanding of what Rikers Island is, what's wrong with it, who's on it, why are they there, uh, to dispel a lot of myths, which, you know, the, the prevailing myth before 2016 is that everybody on Rikers Island is extremely dangerous criminal who needs to be put away. And that's sort of the imagery that you would get from Law and & Order and movies. And so we had to really reintroduce Rikers Island to people. And, and one of the tacks that we took was explaining that it was such a public health hazard. I mean, it's always been a place that is, is deeply unhealthy. Um, you know, it's uh, outbreaks have affected the island in the past. Um, the, the corrections department has resorted to sending people to solitary if they get sick under those conditions. So all, none of this is new with, with COVID-19. Um, but I have to be honest, you know, of all the different angles we use to talk about the in, inhumanity and injustice of Rikers Island, the public health angle never really took off. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it's just not an issue that most Americans really ever thought much about until COVID-19. So, you know, the situation there now is quite dire um, from our understanding. You know, it's reached that exponential um, infection rate where it's gone from, you know, a handful of people to 20 to 70 to I don't know what today's numbers are, um, but it's really climbing fast. Uh, de Blasio is finally moving to re- take people off the island and the number of people on Rikers we're being told is now the lowest number. Uh, it's just dip below 5,000, which is the lowest number since the 1940s. Um, so if I can put like a half full thing on this, Josh, you know, part of, part of what I'm hoping for is that if we can release aging people from prison, if we can release people who are on technical parole violations from jail, if we can take everybody who is, quote, doesn't pose a risk, you know, whatever that happens to mean to the mayor, to the uh, Department of Corrections, and really shrink the jail population and shrink our prison populations because of COVID-19, 
my hope is that when the dust settles from this, we'll recognize as a society that those people never needed to be locked up in the first place. And maybe this shrinkage should become the new normal and we should keep uh, moving to push numbers down. So, you know, my hope is that everybody who's taken off of Rikers Island in the name of public health and safety today never goes back. So I have to take a second here to ask. I mean, you talked about this a little bit before and you just mentioned it. To remind, that was Decarceration Nation, hosted by Joshua Ho. Moving right along, we are up to our final clip for today's episode. We have the Front Porch Anarchast with Richard. Typically, Richard does monologues from his homestead, but we have a rare interview here. So, enjoy. I don't really want to experience that myself. No, I I don't blame you uh, for that one bit. The um, They've been... The, the local government here has been asking people to stay home, and up until, well, I'm not really sure what time it is now, 1144, um, at 12.01, at 12.01 a.m. tonight, um, the county will officially go into a, a shelter in place, and that's when they, you know, they won't allow any businesses to operate for the next 30 days, and, you know, it, unless it's a restaurant or unless it's um, uh, some kind of medical thing, if it's a grocery store, if it's um, construction, any kind of construction is fine. Uh, I know that the that the yeah. home the home improvement stores they're allowing them to stay open. Um, and, and I'm like you: is this a is this a lockdown or a shutdown or is it not? I know the business I work for; it's a it's a nationwide business. And they're not going to be allowed to operate. That's going to put a, a crimp uh, in everybody's plans because, I mean, there's a lot of people that work there and they're getting shut down nationwide. And if this is going to last for 30 days that they're not that they're not allowed to operate, um, things are going to get hairy for them. You know, and 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 like you said, I don't know what caused this virus. I'm not. You know, I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy guy, but that being said, I don't know if this was engineered. I don't know if it was an accident. I don't know if this was actually somebody eating a bat or a or some other kind of animal. But right now, that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is is where we're going to go from here. You said you had the you have uh, the the luxury of kind of being uh, out. We live out of the city. We live out of town, but we live right on a, a road. A, I guess in town they would call it a street. We live right on a street. The people out here, they haven't slowed down whatsoever. They're going, you know, they're still going evidently to work and, and wherever else they're going. Um, so when I hear people talking about, you know, we need a lockdown, I'm I'm wondering uh, why they just don't stay home. Why are they begging government or the state to lock them down? They're not going to stay home anyway. Um, it's almost like it's just a snow day. Up, up where you're at, they may have uh, – you guys may have snow, and you may actually have to shut down the roads and stuff. Down here, we're lucky to get like an inch of, of snow at any time. If they forecast snow – they will shut us down. They'll shut down all the non-essential government agencies. They'll close school. And that's just if there's just a 
if there's just a chance that it might snow. And now what I'm afraid of is that are they going to start shutting things down anytime there's a, a you know when flu season comes around? Are they just going to declare another emergency and and we're going to shut down for that too? You know, I'm just I'm I'm kind of wondering where it might go. And and that's what something that 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 I thought of or I probably saw it somewhere. I'm sure I didn't think of it. I'm sure I read it somewhere. But they were talking about the numbers from the flu as far as those who are who were ill or, or died from, you know, the complications of the flu. And those numbers every year, they eclipse the numbers that we're seeing right now. Right. For, for Let's get yeah, name in your brain one more time. That was the Front Porch Anarchist. We have reached the end of the episode. So if you like what we do, feel free to hit us up at This Week in Liberpods on Facebook, at Liberpods on Twitter, or Liberpods.com. If there's a show you think we missed, send it along. Also, to this point, there have been no repeats, so it is absolutely worth it to go back to episode one and start from the beginning. Lastly, be sure to check out our friends at Liberty Podcast Ranker. I hope the test drive was worth it, and have a good day. This podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. This Week in Liberpods is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.